welcome everybody to our weekly space, the Human Rights Watch space. Um, today we are talking about uh, Paradise Lost, how building a US base on Chagos led to heinous crimes. you on this space today will probably not have a clue where Chagos is and many who are listening to the space today um, may also not know that the UK still has a colony in Africa and that in the years after this colony was created in 1965 the UK and the US forced the entire population of the colony to leave their homes you may ask how that happened. Well, when negotiating independence with Mauritius, which was a UK colony at the time, Britain coerced the Mauritian government into splitting a group of islands that are 2,200 kilometers to the northeast of Mauritius from the deal and leave it to the crown. What was known as Chagos, an archipelago of 58 islands and atolls with about 1,360 inhabitants at the time, many descendants of enslaved coconut plantation workers, became the British Indian Ocean Territory or BIOT. The move, this particular move, had been preceded by very clandestine negotiations between the UK and the US governments to build a military base on the largest of the islands on Chagos, Diego Garcia. When the preparations for the base began, so did the Chagosian people's nightmare. Over the following six years, between 1967 and 1973, the entire population of Chagos was forcibly deported to either Mauritius or the Seychelles. Most ended up living in misery and abject poverty, and none have been allowed to return home to this day. To discuss what this has meant for generations of Chagosians, learn more about their fight for justice and the right to return over the last 50 years, and hear why a new Human Rights Watch report, which was released today, comes to the conclusion that both the UK as well as the US have committed crimes against humanity, against the people of Chagos. I'm now joined by Olivier Bancourt, David Vine, and Mausi Sigun. And all of them are actually on the panel, I'm happy to see. So Olivier uh, is the chair of the Chagos Refugees Group, the organization representing most Chagossians in exile. For more than 25 years, he has waged a legal battle against the US and the UK governments, winning historic victories in British and international courts, yet to this day the UK has completely ignored or overturned these rulings. David? is a professor of political anthropology at American University in Washington, D.C. He's also the author of numerous books on war, peace, and the role of U.S. military bases overseas. Among them is Island of Shame. Island of Shame, published in 2009, was the first major book to reveal the shocking truth of how the United States conspired with Britain to forcibly expel Diego Garcia's indigenous people and deport them to Mauritius and the Seychelles. David's writing has also appeared in the New York Times, Washington Post, The Guardian, 
Mother Jones, Boston Globe and Huffington Post, among others. Mousy is the Chief Executive Director of the Africa Division at Human Rights Watch. She has been intensely involved in the research for the just released report on Chagos. That's when the nightmare started and interviewed numerous eyewitnesses, survivors of the forced deportations and their families. Before joining Human Rights Watch in 2013, Mausi worked with Nigeria's National Human Rights Commission, documenting and promoting human rights in the country's six southwest states. Olivier, since we have you up, um, and please don't forget to unmute your microphone when you answer, you were still a child and lived in Peros Banos which is one of the islands, when the British began to make life very difficult for those who lived there and on the other islands. You and your family ended up stranded in Mauritius and you were not able to return. Now, maybe you could tell us how it came to this, but also what happened to other fellow Chagossians, what they had to go through. Olivier. Yeah, uh, first of all, thank you to give me this opportunity. I myself was born on Peros Banos. Uh, the reason why we left Peros Banos, it is because my sister had been hurt by a wheel cart on Peros Banos. And when my mom go to the dispensary to have treatment for my sister, she had been asked to go to Mauritius to have better treatment. And I have to let you know that there was uh, existing uh, 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 link between Mauritius and Chagos. This is why we have to travel to Mauritius. But the view of my parents was clear that uh, they, they will give priority to the health of my sister and then return back because all our belongings we left on, on Chagos. But unfortunately, arriving in Mauritius three months after my sister passed away. And when my mom and dad decided to return, we learned that it would be impossible for us because the uh, island had been given to America to build a US military base. The things, same things happened to our, our families, our brothers and sisters who were still on Peres Banos, Diego uh, Garcia and, and, and Salomon. They are, have been forced to leave Chagos uh, in order to make place for the US military base. Uh, deportation started on Diego and continued one year after Peres Banos and Salomon. And we all had been have been forcibly forcibly removed from our birthplace in order to let the place uh, uh, free. But we we face with many difficulties because in order to adapt ourselves, integrating motion society, it was very difficult, and we yeah, face with many problems. Yeah, Olivia, just just to roll back a little bit. I mean, like you, if I understand you correctly, you and your family were in Mauritius on a trip that was not supposed to have lasted long, just long enough for your sister to recover. And you probably did not bring more than a couple of suitcases. And you were not allowed to return home at all. Is that correct? Yeah, you're, you're right. Because uh, the, the main objective for us to come to Mauritius, to give treatment for my sister, because we have never uh, planned to come to Mauritius to stay. It's only uh, to have the treatment of my sister and back because we only, my, my father and mom, bring only two mattresses and one small cupboard because all our belongings we left there. We never known that it will be yeah. the last uh, 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 trip that we, 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 we did from our birthplace. This is incredibly cruel. But, um, but other Shagossians, obviously, they were still on the island. So how were they forced to leave? 
The, the way they, they were forced to live, starting on Diego Garcia, they had been asked to gather near the administrative of, of office, and then they had been asked that they, it would be dangerous for them to stay on the island, and uh, they have to move either on Carlos Banos or Salomon. But uh, most of the people decided not to go, but they, they were forced. And then the same things happened, but the company had been paid a compensation to, to sell is a company to the British government. That means that if there is no job, how would you stay? And this is the, the main thing that they did. And of course, all the ship would transport all the provision in order to feed the families, to stop the, uh, the, the activities. And people were, were obliged to go either to Paris, Banos, or Salomon. And uh, mm -hmm. uh, uh, without forget, they also uh, uh, gas our dogs, because they don't want to, to see any drug dogs on, uh, on, on, on the island, because they say that in prison, if they make it, it's very shameful. So dogs were killed when people were forced off the islands. But you said initially they went to Paris Banos and Solomon, but actually, eventually they were all forced to go to Mauritius and Seychelles, right? They were taken in boats and dumped there. And yeah, you were already there with your family, yeah. I, I was uh, yeah. I was in Mauritius, but uh, and others like my my aunt and, and uncle, my grandfather was still there. But all the communication being kept, we did not have in communication. Uh, I, I, I remember my grandfather passed away in 1969. It's only four years after that my mom knows that her father passed away. You see, it's a it's a way of not uh, letting people communicate. You see, and it's a way of uh, even Diego Perros Banos and Salomon is very far away from Diego Garcia. They they decided one year after uh, being deported people from Diego Garcia to clean up uh, Perros Banos and Salomon. So all the other islands were also cleaned up, as you said, although the base was really only on one, the largest one, on Diego Garcia. Now, talking about Mauritius, I mean, what was your life like there? What do you remember? You were extremely young, but you may remember maybe also from stories your parents told you or your sisters told you. What was life like and how did your parents handle this incredible shock of being unable to return to the lives they had built without even prior knowledge? Yeah, with all the promises uh, made on, on Chagos that uh, uh, arriving in Mauritius, they will have the same life as they, as they had in, in, in Chagos. But unfortunately, it was not the case. It was very difficult for people to adapt themselves in Mauritian society because even at that time, Mauritius citizens face many problems because we have lots of un unemployment and it become more difficult to find a, work, a job. And I just knew that when I was a small boy, my parents encouraged me to have education and we faced with many difficulties. My mom had to work in five different places in order to feed the family because my father got a stroke and suddenly my mom had to work. And you know, we have faced a very a difficult life and we were obliged because it was not the case for us to, to face this kind of problem. If we were on Chagos, of course, life would be better than we, we had in Mauritius. And not only our family, almost of the Sagotian who had been dumped on the slum of Port Louis faces difficulty like uh, integration, uh, facing with a problem of jobless, 
problem of prostitution, of alcohol, of drugs, everything. And it is not the, the destiny force, you see? Yeah, so this is what uprootment does to you. you people face alcohol problems, um, poverty, obviously, also mental health issues, I suppose, even in your own family. I think you had quite a bit of tragic incidences happen as a result of all of this, right? Excuse me. Sorry, Olivier, you're breaking. Yeah, up right yeah, now. I, I, I have, yeah. I have, I have tried it, 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 because uh, I have one of my brothers who just uh, uh, have a, a problem with drugs, and one in alcohol, and it was very difficult for mom, my mom. I, I know it was very difficult. It's not only my family; many of our brothers and sisters from the Sagotian community faces faces all kind of, of, of problem like like we did. Uh, our family face, you see? And it, we, this is why the struggle started by the women. Sagotian women who take the lead to say that enough is enough. They cannot accept that their children go to bed without having something to eat. And they, they ask to say that they want to return back to Chagos. Yeah. Um, I just want to move on to David a little bit. And now I will come back to you um, and and the life people have faced for generations. I mean, it's not only really like your own family that has suffered from this uprootment and these enforced deportations. David, um, you actually spent years researching and writing Island Shame, drawing on interviews with Washington insiders, military strategists, exiled islanders, as well as hundreds of declassified documents. Um, you just heard Olivier talk about a little bit about the struggle and the deportations and what happened to Chagossians. When you were researching for your book, were you surprised by what you found? I was shocked by what I found. I think like most people in the United States, I had never heard of the Chagossians until I got a very lucky phone call uh, 22 years ago uh, from lawyers representing the Chagossians and working with Olivier, in fact. Uh, I vaguely knew about Diego Garcia, that there was a military base there from the first Gulf War, but I knew nothing about the Chagossians and, and uh, feel very um, indebted to them for changing my life. Uh, once I was introduced to them and, and, and learned about their struggle and about their expulsion and, and exile. Uh, uh, Olivier, of course, speaks beautifully and painfully about the uh, suffering of, of his people, of the kind of sagrav, the profound sorrow that the Chagossians talk about having experienced uh, after being uh, deracinated, as they say, uprooted and torn from, from Chagos. I was uh, shocked and appalled by, by learning about what happened to them, that they were forcibly removed from their homes to create this U.S. military base. And as a result, I wanted to learn more. And that's what led me to investigate not just the effects of the expulsion on their lives, which is why the lawyers contacted me in the first place. They wanted to, they needed a grad student really to do some, some free research, which I was more than happy to do. Uh, and thus, I carried out research about the effects of the expulsion on the Chagossians and uh, attempted to document the reparations they are due. But I also was curious, wait, why did U.S. government officials 
think it was appropriate to expel an entire indigenous people from their homeland. Uh, why did they need to build a military base in the middle of the Indian Ocean in the first place? So that's what led me to do interviews with former government officials and uh, archival research you mentioned. And I was, again, shocked uh, to learn the, the, the real history of, of how this base came to be and how these government officials so callously decided to discard the Chagossians and dump them in exile with no resettlement assistance. Of course, now you got us all curious. You said you were looking into why. So what is the answer to the why? Well, there are many reasons, but I think as the Human Rights Watch report shows, uh, racism was certainly at the at the core. Uh, this was a group of almost exclusively Euro-American white men who were making decisions about a population of people and indigenous people, as, as my research also found and as Human Rights Watch has shown as well, uh, and, and indigenous people of African and Indian ancestry and deciding simply that, that they could be discarded. The CIA estimated the population size of the Chagos Islands as N-E-G-L. They just used those four letters, N-E-G-L, which stands for negligible, which I think speaks powerfully about how U.S. government officials thought about or didn't think about the Chagossians. Uh, and uh, one former government official that I interviewed described this as ninth, 18th or 19th century thinking after the fact about what you could do to a population. Yeah, and 1960, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> after colonialism had been outlawed. Um, yeah, it's shocking. And maybe if I may, I would like to just hand over to Mousy because she probably also has something to say about this, having been involved very, very intensely in the research for the report that you referred to. Mousy, um, what, what struck you the most? David just talked about the racism. What struck you the most when you did your research? I mean, I think it was a, a number of things. Um, one of the first things that struck me was just how very real and present the the suffering of these people um, were even almost 50 years ago, um, from 50 years after um, they went through most of these abuses. Many shared vivid recollections, you know, amid tears um, about the lives they lived on Chagos before the nightmare began. Um, they, they described their lives there, uh, you know, they described Chagos as paradise. Um, they talked about where exactly they were um, in the 1960s and the, the early 1970s when they were told by British administrators um, on the islands that either they couldn't return um, after short trips outside the island like um, the family of Olivier or that they would have to permanently leave the island because they had been sold to the Americans. Many didn't understand what this meant. They were only allowed to take one suitcase, one suitcase. They were, I mean, I remember a woman who told me how one of the administrators told her, kill and eat your chickens because you would never see them again. They left all everything else, all of their belongings, and were allowed one suitcase per family, got on the boat. Many of them described, especially those who leave, left later from Peros, 
uh, Banosa Island and Salomon, how they lived in the, at dusk. Um, and they, they saw this as an attempt to obscure their memories, but they said nothing can take Chagos away from their lives. And then they also talked about their distress at being abandoned in Mauritius um, or uh, as the case may be in Seychelles, where they have lived in, in the kind of, you know, um, 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 environment and condition that Olivier described of abject poverty, uh, they faced relentless discrimination from ordinary people, but also um, in some cases from government officials. Um, I think, you know, maybe finally, the, or, or just on the point, um, that David um, um, flagged. Um, I was also struck on, on examining official documents, how, uh, including private notes from senior UK government officials uh, that are now uh, public documents, of course, um, which explicitly should show that racial discrimination was a major component of the way they, they treated the Chagosians. Um, of course, the fact of there being uh, the Chagosian people be, being predominantly of African origin um, is a point at this. And th they were treated significantly differently from residents of other islands where the UK retains uh, military bases, including Cyprus, uh, the Falkland Islands, and other places. Um, and th there is also that clear refusal by the UK government officials to extend the very basic human rights that is applicable to all of their citizens, to Chagosians. I think those for me um, were, 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 you know, um, sentiments that I couldn't get away from, uh, even yeah. as I spoke with these people. And one of the most shocking expressions in one of those documents I make, which was like, actually, the, the UK has been lying about the existence of indigenous people on the islands for, for years. And um, in some of the official uh, diplomatic cables, they actually talk about, unfortunately, with the birds, all also will have to move and go some main Fridays. I mean, what could be more racist? Um, and when you're talking about people having to, like, well, only having been allowed to take one single suitcase, that reminds me very much of what happened in South Africa at the beginning of apartheid when Sophia Town, a very, very mixed suburb in Johannesburg, was forcibly cleared. It was very much a similar story. Olivier, um, I don't know how all of this makes you feel to, until today, but moving forward 50 years, you've actually spent most of your life fighting for the right to return. Um, but time and again, the UK government has denied you and uh, other Shigosians the right, despite the fact that you won several court rulings against the UK. Now, the UK government is in, says it is in negotiations with Mauritius about a return of the islands. What do you think that would mean for your struggle as Shigosians? Yeah, for me it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a bit of hope because since uh, uh, more than fifty years, they never heard about uh, all the requests that we did uh, concerning our rights and our fundamental rights and our dignity. But now, with all that we have been uh, passed on, starting with uh, legal action, where we we just challenge them. Because uh, for us, uh, our fundamental right is the most important as a human being, and uh, and uh, we even we we lost, we never give up, we continue our struggle. Now with uh, Mauritian government, we went to the General Assembly of the United Nations, 
who refers the matter to the International Court of Justice. And the advisory opinion was clear that what had been done, there was two evaluations. First, the violation of Charter uh, of Human Rights, of, uh, of uh, Charter of the United Nations. And the second one is uh, the violation of human rights regarding the expulsion of Sagoshan. And uh, with uh, what we heard uh, uh, last November, that the UK government uh, uh, decided to open negotiation, it's, it's a bit of hope uh, just to say that maybe there will be some goodwill from the parts because they are getting more and more shame what they did because uh, they who pretend themselves as the champion of human rights, what they did, and, and if you compare the, the treatment that people from Falklands got comparing to, to our brothers and sisters from Sagos, is a very different one. And you see, this is why we said that, uh, that gives them the chance to see what will come out, what will be the outcome of the negotiation. And of course, we want to be part of the negotiation. To, to, to just uh, to express our view, to describe clearly what we want. And uh, we don't want that, uh, like it was in 1965, where decision had been taken without consulting us. We want to be parts as stakeholders in every discussion uh, concerning the future of Chagos Archipelago. Naturally, yes, that definitely needs to happen. Um, David, you... <sighs> One of your sort of more recent books explores mili U.S. military bases around the world and what the impact of these bases has been. Um, so what actually is the strategic importance of this particular base on Diego Garcia to the U.S.? And is that actually a reason not to allow Chagossians to return, especially seeing that other nationals who are employed by the base and Sri Lankan refugees currently live there. It's certainly not a reason to prevent the Chagossians from returning. There are non-U.S. citizens living around U.S. military bases around the world. There are civilian populations living next to U.S. military bases and frequently working on U.S. military bases around the world, including in Guantanamo Bay, where the supposed Cuban enemy is just across the fence line. And it's been that way for, for decades. Uh, the uh, idea that, that Chagossians can't go back home, which has been trotted out by both the British and U.S. governments from time to time, the idea that they can't go back because of military security reasons is, is just another one of the fictions. And that was one of the words used by British and U.S. government officials during the secret negotiations to build the base and expel the Chagossians. This is another one of the fictions uh, about, about Diego Garcia and the Chagossians. Um, it's simply a, a, an excuse um, because the military prefers to operate without having to worry about a, a local population, except in the case of Diego Garcia, the Filipinos, mostly some Mauritians and Sri Lankans who were imported as as uh, low-paid laborers that they can simply send home whenever they want to. So th this is that that's that's just to put that uh, again fiction aside. Uh, the strategic importance to U.S. government officials and some U.S. foreign policy elites 
is that this base is, while very isolated in the middle of the Indian Ocean, it's uh, within striking distance of a large part of the globe from Southern Africa to the Middle East to Southeast Asia and beyond. And Diego Garcia has played key roles in all the U.S. wars in the Middle East, helped launch the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, both wars in Iraq and uh, has been used, we know, uh, as part of the CIA's extraordinary rendition program, which was the George W. Bush era program where accused terrorists were kidnapped and uh, rendered, transported around the world to CIA black sites where they were frequently tortured. There's some people who think Diego Garcia was used as one of these CIA black sites when where torture is likely to have occurred, we still don't know the full truth. We do know, and British and U.S. officials have acknowledged that some uh, accused terrorist suspects were transported through Diego Garcia, but we don't know the full extent of what went on there because no human rights investigators, no journalists are allowed to visit Diego Garcia. It's actually far easier to visit Guantanamo Bay, where I've been able to do research. I, I requested and others have requested permission to visit Diego Garcia for years and been denied. Uh, so there's still, despite the amazing documentary work that Human Rights Watch has done in this report, there's still uh, more that we need to learn, more that the governments of both Britain and the United States need to, to tell us about the, the real and true history of, of Diego Garcia. When something is highly secretive, but it's also highly suspect, I suppose some investigative journalists will eventually find the truth of what's actually happening on Diego Garcia and on that base. Olivier, um, let's come back to you. Uh, you have been back a couple of times, but on very short visits. I mean, these were not, you were not allowed to like set up your own residence, but you've been back on very short visits. What state? did you actually find the islands and find your heritage, the heritage of the Shagossian people in? Uh, the state of the place was uh, abandoned. I said it's, uh, we, we are very concerned uh, where we people, Shagossian used to live, had been abandoned. And, and uh, to take on that uh, also, the place where our parents were, were buried in Diego Garcia, Perez, Benes, and Solomon, all were abandoned. And, uh, and they who say, the UK government who say they, they want to promote culture, they encourage to promote culture. But what we ask, what about the culture of the Goshen people? We left our parents who, who buried there. The, the grave are in, in, have been abandoned. And the church where we used to make our prayer, dependence on our, our faith, all this has been abandoned and uh, without any consideration. And at the same time, we just see what happened that they, they even have a, a military, a dog military symmetry in Puente Cano in which are well maintained comparing to the grave of our grandparents. And this is why we said, and when we visited there, it's only three hours, not more. And we were always escorted by British soldiers uh, to our birthplace. And it is very sad to see that on our birthplace, where we are 
been uh, recognized as personal non grata, other people can live and work. And instruction has been given to all uh, uh, recruitment agents not to employ Sagotian because of the birth, place of birth. I myself been concerned. I've made application nine times. I've never been selected. The reason because I was born in Peros Banos, which form part of Chagos Archipelago. This is a way that uh, we condemn the, the way of doing of both government, UK and US. Yeah, and in fact, today's your birthday. It must be a very sort of sweet, sad uh, occasion for you every time you celebrate it, since you can't return to your homeland. But even if you could return at this particular point, you would be returning to a place that is desolate and abundant. We come to that a bit later. Um, but Mousy, what what have the UK and the US government done so far to compensate people for the destruction of their homes, the loss of their lives they have built, the destruction of their culture? Has there been any compensation? I think if 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 there's been any compensation at all has been um, beyond paltry, to say the least. Um, we know for sure that the UK received significant payment from the US um, um, for, for the lease of the islands. Um, the UK did not pass any of these funds to the Chagosian people, um, although it did pay compensation both to the government of Mauritius and to the owners uh, of the coconut plantation where the, Mauritian, uh, the Chagosian people worked. Um, it wasn't until um, in the, the, the late 1970s, um, from mid there about 1976 um, uh, there about, that some payments began, relatively small amounts to be to be clear, uh, began to be paid to Chagosian people in Mauritius. None of the others living elsewhere, whether in Seychelles or, or, or um, the other islands where people were were, were dislocated into. Uh, got any other payment. But I know that the first payment um, was in 1972 um, for to, to the Mauritian government, that is, uh, in, in the sum of about £650,000, um, which, you know, um, the, the UK said was in full and final settlement. Out of this, some of this was paid to the Chagosians in Mauritius um, from 1976 to 1982, thereabout. Um, and um, they were actually forced the, the Tawasians were forced to either sign or thumbprint um, a disclaimer that they were giving up their right um, to, to Chagos Island. Of course, many of the Tawasians who signed those documents um, could, did not know what they were signing because they were written in English language, which many, um, actually almost every Tawasian at that time did not speak. Um, they, they continued... Uh, to press for more, um, and ultimately some of them in um, Mauritius were either given uh, landed land uh, to build a home or they were given um, homes, really small homes. Um, but like I said, not, none of the others elsewhere, including in the Seychelles, got anything. Then there about in 2016, um, the UK government announced a 40 million support package for Chagosians. This is after it had... Re rescinded um, a court decision through an order in council that had allowed them 
the decision had allowed them to return to Chagos. Um, but then the government, through that order in council, rescinded that decision, uh, prohibiting once again Chagosians from returning to Chagos. So, uh, in, in, uh, I guess, you know, um, to, to provide some kind of compensation uh, for that awful decision, the, the support package was announced. Um, however, many Chagosians say to us that they are not aware of how, if at all, any of this money has been spent. Um, mm. they, they have not received any apart from these guided tours that, you, as you mentioned earlier, are, are called heritage uh, visits to, to Chagos. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that also serves a little bit the propaganda purpose of the UK government, I guess. Um, but, the, the I mean, you're talking about like, there was no compensation. People were um, tricked into signing documents abdicating their rights to return. Um, International rulings were ignored, but the report that was launched today also finds that both the UK as well as the US government were implicated in crimes against humanity. Now, that's a very, very strong accusation and finding. What exactly, Mausi, were these crimes and uh, to what extent do they actually persist to this day? Indeed, we, we, we have found um, from our research and from, like I said, the examination of these documents and several other um, um, others, that the UK government's forced displacement of the Chagosian people uh, over 50 years ago with the active support, or perhaps, as others would um, insist, the incitement of the United States government, um, their continued refusal to allow the Chagosians to return home, and then the harm that they have experienced um, without full compensation and restitution. All of these acts and um, um, omissions amount to crimes against humanity, including the fact that their forced displacement and the prevention to return home are ongoing crimes because as we speak today, they are still not allowed to return home. So their displacement has continued from the mid-1960s up until today. So the crime is ongoing, it is continuous, and it is also a colonial crime because what the UK did was to create a new colony, lied, falsely declared that there were no permanent residents and, of course, to, uh, to obscure uh, the, 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 truth, the, the truth behind that lie, they removed all the permanent um, residents. Um, the, the persecution also of, of the Chagosian people on the grounds of their race or ethnicity, uh, uh, continue, which also continues as we speak, um, is... Um, we, we consider to be another inhumane act, um, which are serious violations of human rights law, uh, but also of international criminal law. Yeah, and all of this obviously has repercussions for for the following generations, for generations to come. Um, I'm a bit mindful of time, so the last question goes to all of you, and maybe let's start with David. Um, so is there any way to right the many wrongs Chagossians have suffered and that we've just heard about? And if so, what action would you like to see the UK and the US government take to do so? David, maybe start, and then Mausi, and I would like to give Olivier the last word. Well, I, I think Human Rights Watch following the Chagossians has outlined very powerfully 
in addition to <clears throat> documenting crimes against humanity, Human Rights Watch has outlined a, an appropriate and important reparations plan, including the right to return home, to live or to, to visit, uh, proper resettlement assistance to make the islands habitable, uh, including Diego Garcia, uh, and proper compensation in addition to an apology and uh, more light being shed on, on the government documents and other elements of, of the, the crime that has been committed through the years. I, I should just um, clarify a bit that that, that the, the historical record is clear that the idea for a base on Diego Garcia and for expelling the Chagosians did come from U.S. government officials. The, is, in my mind, it is quite clear that the initial author of the initial crime of displacing the Chagosians and exiling them uh, came from U.S. government officials, including uh, and, and actually beginning with one Navy official in particular named Stuart Barber, who has an intriguing history where he identified Diego Garcia as a site for a base and, and uh, helped start the process by which uh, U.S. officials contacted British government officials and insisted on the removal of the Chagosians and then paid for the British government to do the dirty work of getting rid of the Chagosians. Late in Stuart Barber's life, he found out what happened to the Chagosians in, in exile and indeed admitted that there was no military necessity. That's Those were his words. No military necessity for removing the Chagosians and called on uh, the, the U.S. government and indeed contacted Human Rights Watch uh, to say that the Chagosians should be allowed to return and paid proper compensation. He estimated uh, something around $210,000 in compensation per family would be appropriate, I think, uh, by my calculation and the calculation of some colleagues. Uh, the Chagosians are owed much more, but that is a, a, an initial uh, figure provided by the author of the plan for the base on Diego Garcia and the himself and an amazing admission right somebody who was part of part of part of it and responsible for it um Mousy, would you like to pick up this question like what actions are we as human rights watch suggesting demanding to write uh, the wrong indeed indeed just as um david said we are calling on both the, both governments, that is the UK and the US government, to provide full reparations to all of the Chagosian people, wherever they are, wherever they live presently, whether in Mauritius, in, in Seychelles, or the UK, and elsewhere, um, in, in, three, in three key areas. First, the UK should provide restitution by immediately lifting the ban on the, the right of Chagosians to permanently return and settle on the Chagos Island, all of the islands, that is, including Diego Garcia. Um, the UK and the US should also ensure financial and other support and cooperation to restore the islands to enable the Chagosian people to return and live in dignity across the archipelago. The second is that the both governments should provide financial compensation to remedy all of the harms that they have caused the Chagosian people, whether or not they wish to return. Because we've heard, you know, a, 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 some claims um, from, from some of the officials of both governments 
um, that, you know, not every Chagosian wishes to return. And we have emphasized to them that that is besides the point. This right is, 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 should be respected as an international human rights law, um, a, a, a guaranteed right. Um, whether or not the people choose to go or not is not anyone's concern and cannot be dictated to them. They will make that decision for themselves. What needs to be taken away is the impediment um, to their return. Um, uh, the, and the, the, the restitution should include, the compensation should include um, physical, psychological, and economic um, um, uh, compensation for the harms that they have suffered. Finally, both governments, the US and the UK, should provide guarantees and satisfaction that these crimes will never happen again. And as the ongoing negotiations, which I, I know others have mentioned earlier, are ongoing, they should ensure full and, and effective consultation with the Chagosian people, make sure that their voices are heard, their wishes are listened to, um, and their desires are take, taken on board in the decision-making on the whether it's the sovereignty or the restitution of the island, whatever decision is arrived at at the end of the negotiations should not happen without full consent consultation with the Chagosian people. I, I think I'll stop there. <laughs> Thank you, Mausian. And Olivier, last words. I mean, you as Chagosian, what are the most urgent things you want to see happen to right the wrongs right now? Yeah, first of all, I just want to say that uh, our right of abode, of every Sagosian, wherever they are, should be respected. The right to live on our birthplace is a fundamental right, like all human beings need to have, and no one can choose it. Wherever people are, wherever the choice, they are in Mauritius, in UK, or Seychelles, elsewhere, they have the right to return and their children also have the right to return. No one can ban our right on that because it's not good to encourage people to UK, but forget where they come from. Because most of our, our no one will never know where they come from and where their family come from. This is why we want to give this opportunity to our children to know. And of course, uh, it should be livable. All the infrastructure needs to be done by both governments, UK and US. Because if this happens at the stage and abandoned, because they are responsible for that. And of course, reparation. Reparation, not like they, they want to present uh, since uh, 2016 about the support package to say that they will improve the condition of living of Sagotian. It's not something that just make in addition. Once uh, 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 one part they want us, they will not encourage uh, uh, a real settlement to take place on Chagos, but in, in, in improve the condition of living of Sagotian in uh, everywhere they are. No, the question is compensation need to pay, a, a reparation need to done for many things about uh, training, about encouraging our education about uh, health, anything which is very important for Sagotian need to be done. But of course, yeah. what we have been suffering, uh, mainly those Sagotian, we cannot start by 
just uh, trying to find a solution for a certain fourth generation. I'm not against that, their choice. But we, UK government and US government need to start with those who have been suffered of deportation. Together with our children, we need to have a compensation and, and of, co of course, correct all the wrong and the uh, suffering that we have been suffered. And yeah, and the right to return. Thank you, thank you for that. I'm sure this struggle will continue a while longer. The UK Foreign Office has already basically refuted our findings today, so it will continue. But we will continue to support you in this. I am sure. Um, I thank you very, very much for joining us on this space. And I'm sure a lot of people who listen probably for the first time ever heard of Chagos, heard of your struggle, and are now a lot more aware of the some of the colonial wrongs that were committed by the UK and the British government. Um, as late as the 60s. Um, thank you so much for joining and also I would like to thank the team, uh, Jan Khoi for hosting from our main account and then my pre-production team for the weekly space, Alice Otin, Lisa Maya, Christina Varganova, Blair Palmer, Emily Palomo, Anthony Gale, and Hussein Amri. Next week, we will be looking at the first anniversary of the Russian reinvasion of Ukraine and efforts to collect evidence for war crimes in order to ensure, eventually ensure, justice for what is happening in Ukraine. I hope you can join us again then. I uh, wish you a good rest of the day wherever you are. Um, and thank you very much to all our panelists. Please follow them um, so that you can keep abreast with what is happening with the Chagossian struggle. Thank you and goodbye.